You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. Okay, so the title of this message is Winning Team, Everyone Plays. This is actually a really fun message. Winning Team, Everyone Plays. And so I've got to do a little bit of an introduction through Matthew chapter 9, and then we're going to end up in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 We've actually been camping there for a little bit, and Romans chapter 12 is now we're going to get to looking at uh, the callings that there are, of ministries that there are in the body of Christ. And so by way of just kind of getting there in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 1, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city, verse 2, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my sons, your sins are forgiven. Now, from there, they just lose it. One of the ways that we would say it is that they lose their religion. Because what they're saying correctly is, wait, 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 did you say your sins are forgiven? Jesus goes, that's right. They go, do you realize only God could say that? And he goes, "Uh uh-huh. And and they're going to pause and go, are you trying to tell us that you are God in human flesh? Yes. Stick around. Watch what I do. I look like it. I am that. And I'm going to manifest it in so many ways. And you're going to see it most divinely on the cross when I go to die and pay for your sins. And I'm resurrected from the third day. So that's Matthew chapter 9. So he heals the paralytic. And then in uh, Matthew going on, I'm going cursory manner through this chapter. Verse 9 now of the same chapter, Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Everybody say, follow me. me. That's what Jesus says to you, follow me. So that to Matthew. So now in verse 10, and Jesus reclined at table of the house. That means that they are like buddies reclined at table. You know, and they're actually not on tables. Like I'm on a tabletop here. They're, They're really on the ground. Uh, and they're, they're, they're hanging out. They're like buddies. They're like grabbing each other like we call it like bros. You know, it's very tight, very intimate in that sense, very friendly. But behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus liked that. But those around didn't. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They didn't dig that. Jesus is going to push back. goes, hey, don't you know that sick people need a physician? And, uh, but not everybody else is well, right? I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous, not sinners. Now, 14, we're going to get a little teaching about fasting and all of that. And then in verse 18, again, I'm in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. While he was saying these things, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Okay, so you have to understand, this is rich man, poor man ministry. Do people not have funds? Are they like the lower parts of society? Jesus loves on them. Jesus heals them. Jesus comes for them. He's the ruler. He's the top dog. He can pay for every physician. He can have anything medically done. Does Jesus come to him? Yes, he comes to him. So this person comes to Jesus and says, My daughter has died. Well, now a couple verses later, verse 22, Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, your your daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. You realize people like to laugh at Jesus. Don't laugh at Jesus. (laughs) It happens to this day. People laugh at Jesus. Maybe, maybe even some friends or a peer group of yours laugh for you coming here or just completely dismiss church. Happened in his day. 
So he said, look, she's fine. She's going to be fine. But they laughed at him. Verse 24, go away for the girl's not dead but sleeping. They laughed at him. Verse 25, but when the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took her by the hand. The girl arose and the report went out to the district. Verse 27, two blind men are healed. Verse 32, a demon-oppressed man is, is, is healed. Now verse 35, to the point. And when Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, catch this church, healing every disease, every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. So this is an amazing day in Jesus' life from beginning to end. It is incredible gospel ministry, incredible healings, incredible Casting out of demons, incredible rebuking of people who are just silly and dumb and stupid, rebuking of those who don't understand the truth, giving love, giving out love, giving out mercy, having celebrations and socializing. It's an incredible, incredible day. And at the very end of all of that gospel ministry, Jesus is going to look out on the mass of people And here's what he's going to say related to you and I. Then he said to his disciples, verse 37, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what does that mean? Part of what that means is that you are the answer to that prayer. That's what that means. So how, how are other people going to reach God? How are other people going to know the love of God? How are other people going to have their soul hurt, ministered, their body, their soul, their spirit? How are they going to be ministered to? So Jesus himself says, I'm looking at the masses of people. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit out as I'm resurrected from the dead. I'm asking the church to pray for laborers to be raised up, to be sent out to the harvest. You are the answer to that prayer. God is with you. Now, I realize not everyone feels that, but it is actually true. Go to Romans chapter 12 as we pursue this text here and this wonderful idea that everyone is on the we're on the winning team and everyone, everyone plays. And so you have a role here on this team and you have a role in the kingdom and it's beautiful and it's absolutely, absolutely wonderful. And so... Here's part, of, here's part of when we say you're on the winning team, God wants to use you, you're part of that answer prayer. Let me, let me, let me just go through a stumbling block for some people. This really affects, affects more than you might realize. If you're over here, I want you to realize that on the far side of a spectrum, there's a person who they're actually too resilient. They're actually too tough. They really are. They're tough, and they're tough, and they're tough, and they're too resilient. And then over here is a person who's not resilient, right? And each of these has a problem, right? Because in the middle, this this like miracle middle, this wonderful middle is where God wants to operate, where you're actually useful and where you're actually moldable. See, if you're too resilient, what are you? You're tough, you're tough, you're tough, you're tough. And you're going to have versions of, I'm going to just plow through, and you probably have an earthly talent, have the, the, the actual ability or maybe the financial means or maybe the, the talent or the peer group to just push through and push through. You're actually too resilient. There aren't miracles here. 
And then on the other side, you're not resilient enough, right? And so, and so, so you know, so here, each of these has a version of whining, but over here, you know, it's like this is the Eeyore, right? And that doesn't work out. Like, oh dear, you know? It's like, you know, it's like you, you, you pray for somebody on the not resilient side and you go, God answered that prayer. God answered that prayer. I need money. I need money. I need a job. I need help. Okay, we prayed and you got it. You, did you get it? Yeah, I got it. Okay, great. Well, now I have to go to work. <laughs> All right, there's not, this person's not resilient. This person's too resilient. This person too resilient might, might, might deceive you. That's why I'm camping on this, because they're likely socially competent. They're probably wealthy. They're probably a CEO type. They can push through. They're honored in the kingdom of man. They're too tough for the kingdom of God. Useful. Moldable. Willing. So this huge, wonderful miracles of God take place in the middle of that. In our humanity, which I share with you, weaknesses sometimes on both sides. We all have this spectrum where we go from too resilient to not resilient. And then not resilient and too resilient. We, we, that's our humanity. That's our flesh. The supernatural nature of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and discipleship is this wonderful middle. Be useful to God, moldable and willing. The Bible says this here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now on to verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I'll pause right there for a moment as we as we get into this idea of this grace and the idea of how these things work. So I'm going to call this sort of illustration runs with horses, you know, because the text here is saying, for by the grace of God given me, I say everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Our problem is we don't know how to think of ourselves because we don't know how to think of God. He's the Lord. He's the creator God. And he's actually transcendent. So I realize that's maybe a big word for some people, that that means that God who will exist, not bound by the laws of physics here on earth, actually comes into the reality of the laws of physics on planet earth. He's here. So you can know that you know God. You can, you can experience his salvation, experience power. So we don't know how to think of ourselves, so we don't actually know how to cooperate with ourselves because, or with him because we don't know how to think of him. And so there's this vertical problem, there's this horizontal problem, and then we get these horizontal problems because we don't have the understanding of how to think of the vertical. I was out here uh, just a couple of days ago praying and meditating. It's quiet, it was nice. I encourage you guys to come to this place. The Lord just is so here. Walk around, pray. So I'm just sitting here, and I'm just, um, I'm just 
trying to abide in Christ. In fact, that's what I'm saying in my prayer. I'm like, Lord, I just I want to abide deeply in you. I want to abide more richly in you. I want to just remain in this place of abiding with you as I, as I go through my life and my day. I want to be in that place. Can you show me your glory? Can you show me what that looks like for your church? And so really, I'm actually not far from here, and I'm actually looking at those horses over there, and the horse pen that's over yonder is not uh, or, or field is, is not usually with that many horses, and so income about about eight to ten. And so it actually was kind of interesting because these horses kind of came almost like out of a commercial or in my generation like a, a far side kind of cartoon because the horses all came with their noses in the middle like a huddle. It was almost like a Super Bowl commercial, you know. And it's like somebody's like, okay, Frank, you got to go out deep. I don't want to go out deep. You know, and it's like, well, Joe, you got a block over here. I don't want to block, you know. And then they're, they're, their noses come up, and they come out, and then they come back in the middle. It's the weirdest thing. I'm watching the horse behavior. There's nobody over there. It's like 8 to 10 or 12 horses, and their noses are coming in the middle. They haven't huddled. They're coming out, and they're kind of doing their thing. I go, That's, I, I've, I've just never seen those horses act that way. And then all of a sudden, they come together, and they're not in a straight line. They're actually like in a pack, and they come together. And it's like they crouch, and then they take off running. And this is like full on, like, and they're all running together, but there's one that's kind of like in the, in, in the nose. And I'm sitting here going, that is the most beautiful thing ever. I mean, I'm watching about a dozen horses right over here just take off. And then I'm looking at the fence. I'm thinking, are they going to jump the fence? And so then the lead horse bends left. And like, like, the, like the birds that you see out here, they all bend left with that horse, keeping the same exact formation, going, hoof, hoof, hoof. And then all of a sudden, they're kind of coming at me. You know what I'm thinking? Is this take out the pastor day? You know, maybe, maybe they're like, we're going to get that guy. We're going to spook him. So then they come right over here. Then they bend again away from me in perfect formation. And they're digging their hooves and they're running and they're running and they're running. And then they come over and then they stop and they kind of gather together as if to say, hey, that was good, guys, right? That was good. <laughs> That's how the Lord wants us to be with him. He's that lead horse. It brings us together to gather. I got some things to say to you. Stop rustling with me. Lay that down. Are you ready? Follow along. Go. And it's glorious. It's the kind of thing that the kingdom just looks back. Peter will tell us that angels will actually look into that and be like so and wondering about it. And so for that, by the grace given to me, that's what this text there says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, so that this grace that was not earned, it is a gift to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. To think of himself with a sober judgment, with a, with a, with a soundness of mind, with, a, with an understanding of what that means to be of a sound mind and of the true mind. Our problem is, is that we don't know how to think about God, so we don't even know how to think about ourselves, and therefore we don't know how to think about somebody else. Our problem is that we tend to treat God the way we treat our own hearts. Our problem is that we tend to treat another person the way we treat our own hearts. That's why you, part of the reason why you must be saved. 
If God has grace for you, you know what that means? God has grace for you. But we think, oh no, but I, if I'm nice, if I'm good, if I'm obedient, if I've got more morality, God has grace for you. So you receive this grace, it abides in you, it marinates in you, it does the work in you, and then it begins to flow out of you. To think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So the idea of the measured of faith, there's a, there's a, there's a definite article before that. Some people think that it's related to the faith, but it's actually not, you know, like, do you have a lot of faith? It's do you have it? In other words, he's not asking for performance. Like, okay, well, well, do you have a lot of faith? Okay, then you have a lot of grace. No, it doesn't make sense. You have God's grace. Do you have faith? So it's a matter of, do, are you possessing it? Do you have it? Do you have it? Then he gives you the grace according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now he's going to talk about this winning team, runs with horses, and all these roles that people have. And so verse 4, again, I'm in Romans chapter 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. I want to emphasize one idea of one body. So let me just tell you what, what, what that is saying. And this, this is going to push against our current culture really hard. So our current culture, especially after pandemic, is to actually not be involved and just kind of fill in the blank. And so, so, so at a secular level, let's not go to work. Let's take every government handout. Okay, well, if you're in need, do it. But if you can work, guess what Jesus says? Work. <laughs> so if you can work, go to work. And then it affects every other life of our, of our society. And then it comes to church. The members of one body means that you actually join a local body of believers and you actually plant yourself there and that you actually grow there and that you let the Holy Spirit grow you in and through that one body. And we resist it with everything. And we have these, these tools which, which come online and come in other places. And so we deceive ourselves. So, so use other tools as they're appropriate. But God is actually calling you like today to gather. And you can listen to preaching and you can listen to worship and all kinds of different avenues. But it is not the same to come into a room like this and to see people who are interceding for you and praying for you and who actually know your name or want to know your name or want to walk with you. And to say, brother, sister, yes, that's right. And to grab one another and to lift holy hands together and to pray together and to actually learn from the scriptures together and to together be submissive to Christ together and to go on the glorious journeys. That's one body. That's that local church. And in our country, everybody wants to stand outside of various kinds of loyalties. We don't have loyalty in marriage anymore, just to pick on that for a moment. And no judgment there. It's painful when those things don't work out. Grace, love, and mercy to you. But I'm talking about the church. 
loving and being loyal in that sense to absolutely one another. And so the scripture here says, for as in one body, we have many members, as in one body. And so now, now all of us, all of you here, you actually have, you have a singular, you have a variety of roles that you participate with. Not, not all have the same function. So in verse five, though many are in one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So we're gonna have different gifts that we're gonna use, but we're all gonna participate. And so listen, verse, uh, let us use them is what the text says. If prophecy in proportion to faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who has acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So this is a list of seven uh, that Paul actually has. And he's going to talk here about those. And so I want to go through these different, these are actually callings. These are actually callings out there. And so the first one is prophecy. And according to 1 Corinthians, we can all uh, participate in the prophetic, but some will have a unique calling related to that. The prophetic is that you would know the heart and mind of God as a forth-telling, as a truth-telling. It's really more of a truth-telling in that sense for love and encouragement than predicting the end of the world. Do you know when Jesus is going to come back? You want to know when Jesus is going to come back? I'm going to tell you when Jesus is going to come back. Are you paying attention? He comes back when he comes back. <laughs> so Jesus comes back when he comes back. He has not told us that exact hour. There'll be a rapture of the church at that moment. If you ask me, we haven't taught a book of Revelation for a while. There are all kinds of signs of the times that are going on. And they're freaking us all out. Yesterday, just on, on, on the news yesterday, mainline television, hey, I know, take a pill, and we will, for the next 90 days, be able to know wherever you're at so that we can monitor whether you're taking your medications correctly. No, thank you. Okay, so just no thank you. Just as one, if you don't know the Bible, you don't know what it's saying about end times, just understand there are some predictive things of, of nature that government and society will try and be controlling the individual in this way. And so prophecy simply speaks about the mind and the heart of God. It is one of the greatest blessings to participate in. You could set people free. Listen, if you don't, if you don't get much out of today, and, and you don't know how to apply it, then just please do this. Try and find a way to say complimentary things to people during the day of some sincere nature in the next few days. Watch what happens. I, I know I've been preaching about this for, for, for months and months, and, all, and I, we just live in such a dark and negative day that people do not hear positive things out of people's mouths. That's not what prophecy is, but it's just a way of trying to get it. The prophetic is to be able to know with somebody that I know how God wants to love and encourage you right now. And then you say it. It's a Bible verse. It's a thought. It's a prayer. It's a tremendous help. And that person just starts weeping. Oh, thank you. I want that to be true with everything inside of me. I just, it just opens my heart. It exposes my heart. Sets me free. So that's prophecy. Secondly is the idea of service. And so the idea of service in the list of seven is the idea of simply really being active. And so your pastor and pastors all over the place really love church people. Now, what I mean is that some people struggle to get in church. Believe it or not, it was actually myself after getting saved. Like the idea of being 
in a body like this. I just was not, I just wrestled against it for many different personal reasons. But there's other people like they do church, you know, and I love people come up and they say, oh, I'm new to town. I just moved here. I love the ranch church. And I know somebody who even said to me recently, she goes, I'm a church girl. I do church. Can I come to something every day? It's totally serious, you know? Can I help out every day? Oh, yes. I <laughs> love you, friend. You know, and there are people like that. That's what it's talking about. People love going to church, but they want to be involved. They want to serve. Obviously, there's simple things like a chair or a table, but there's, there's things way, way beyond it. They go, yeah, just tell me. How can I be involved? Tell me what I can do. Put me to use right now. I'm ready to be used for God. What do you want me to do? I'll show up early. I'll stay late. Happily, we'll do that. That's service. Now, the interesting thing, as I told you, these are callings. So some people will be stronger than them. But like the prophetic, we all have the opportunity to participate in them. And the same thing with service. And so in church, we don't sit back and go, yeah, the service people get to set up church. No, we all participate in some level in serving the Lord. That's part of the glory. Next is teaching. And so teaching is just this, instruction. And it's not just on a Sunday pulpit kind of thing. There's, there's actually small groups. There's one-on-one -on -one conversations. There's discipleship. There's many other ways of teaching and instructing that are absolutely necessary. There's exhortation. This is encouragement. And I will tell you that the most exhortative and encouraging person I've ever been around is my pastor, Ricky Ryan. I mean, that guy is just, he just bleeds encouragement, and he bleeds, bleeds encouragement. And the only time that a few of us who know him fairly well have ever seen him be discouraged is when his surfboard has broken. <laughs> so a couple of times, somebody has actually taken his surfboard and actually broken it. You know, this is actually a true story. Famously, Greg Laurie and him were some time ago going surfing in Maui together, and Greg had actually said, no, Ricky, I'm going to tie down all the surfboards. And Ricky had said, Greg, are you sure that you know how to tie down the surfboard? Are you kidding me? Are you trying to say I don't know how to tie, after all these years, how to tie down a surfboard? And Ricky says, yes. And Greg says, no, I know how to tie down a surfboard. So now they're going, and they're driving down the street, and Greg did not tie down the surfboard. And so Ricky has a, a few specialty-made surfboards that fly off at about 50 miles an hour in the car and go, woo, woo, woo. Now, this is like a five or six in the morning. So praise Jesus, nobody's around. And it falls on the ground. It splits in two. I'm not even going to tell you what kind of surfboard this is. But anyway, it splits in two, and it gets on the side of the road, and then Greg puts it up to Ricky's board in two spots. He goes, Ricky, would it be okay to say I'm sorry? <laughs> and Ricky says nothing, and he gets on the car and leaves Greg behind, right? <laughs> That's because my pastor taught me to make it your mission in life to be the most encouraging person in the room. To try and just ask God, I'm going to the social setting, can I encourage somebody? I'm going to go into church, can I encourage somebody, God? I'm going to go into prayer meeting, can I encourage somebody, God? I'm going to be on a mission trip, can, I, can, you, can you work in me, God, in such a way? Could you work in me in such a way that I could find one or two people that I could just bless and love in some way, in some tangible way? Do I have to give them my jacket? Do I have to, do I have to help them out? Do I just need to walk with them? Do I just need to tell them that I love them? Or, you know, what is it that I can do, Christ, in your name, that you would give me the ability supernaturally to be an encouraging person to somebody right here, right now? 
Oh, church, would you bleed that spirit? Would it it just blow upon you? Would it blow upon us? Because it is world-changing. That's exhortation. That's what it means in the text. Some of your Bibles might actually use the word encouragement. So the next word is generosity, which has to do with giving. And there are people that are very unique in their generosity in many ways. Generous with their time, generous with their talent, generous with their treasure. You know, there, there are people like that. Uh, every pastor loves it. I'm certainly one of those who comes and says, Pastor, give me a, give, give me a reason to, to, to write the kingdom of God, another big check. Oh, yes. But there's other people who go, hey, I have, I have these talents. I have these talents. You know, I run these companies. I do this. I do that. You know, put me to work in church. Yes. Uh, others say, I, I've got time right now. I'm tapping out early from private career. Put me to work. Yes. That's the idea of giving. But we all should be givers. You know, we all participate in it, but there's some people uniquely gifted in that way. The next one has to do with leadership and the one who leads with zeal, the idea of doing it with passion. And so leadership is about determination and enthusiasm. And so leaders want to release leaders and they're going to be determined. And leaders are visionaries. They're going to disturb people because they say, hey, you know what? We're going to make everybody real uncomfortable. We're going to go over there. Why are we going to go over there? Because Christ is telling us to go over there. Why don't we stay over here? It's comfortable over here. Now we're going to go over there. Some of the natures of, of leadership, and they should do it with enthusiasm. They should actually really do it with enthusiasm. Last on the list here of the seven is the one who acts, uh, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And I, I love that. I love that, the idea of acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It means what you mean. And, and you understand that in our humanity, it's also possible to serve the Lord and kind of be grumpy about it. The Lord say, No. Go love that person for me. Do it for me. Do it for me. Go be uniquely uh, giving to that person. Do it for me. Go be merciful to somebody, but do it, do it for me. And so these are actually callings. These are actually callings that, that are upon us. And we all participate with them at some level, but certainly others have some unique gifts related to them. And so they're, they're, they're about that calling. I think it's so fascinating that the scripture in Revelation, actually chapter 3 and chapter 4, mentions these two doors. And, and the first door is actually related to a series of churches that have been talked. So there's a whole series of churches, like Ephesus is one. This is the church of Laodicea. And so this is chapter 3, verse 20. And Jesus is going to say, I stand at the door and knock. So Jesus say, I stand at the door and knock. So in that sense, the people are inside. Jesus is outside. He's standing. I, do, I, I knock on, on your door. And if you let me in, I will actually come and have an intimate meal with you. So you think about eating and you think about you know, really being personal. That means we're going to actually have a personal relationship. I, I love back in the day when I was in Ethiopia, you know, and, and, and if you're a germaphobe, you're getting over it real fast because we're all taking our hands and we're putting it in the food, right? And we're coming up like that and we're putting them on other things and we're, we're talking, we're sitting on the ground and everybody goes with their hands like this, right? And all of us are looking at, what are you doing with that hand? Are you, okay, because only one hand goes in there, right? And so all the Ethiopians knew what to do, but us in America are like, we, what are we doing? We use right hand, left hand, because I'm not, I don't want to do that. So, but all of us go in there, we're sitting very close to one another. And you, you go like this with it, and then you talk to your friend. And you can talk for a long time. You talk for hours. This is not like an American thing where I go, hey, you know what? Uh, time's up. Time's up. Time to go. It's like, no, we're, we're going we're gonna to hang out for a long, long 
time. And you're going to tell me about your mother and your father and your family back home and your friends. And we're going to have food like this. This is fellowship. And you're going to be my friend. I'm going to be your friend. Jesus knocks on this door in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It says, if you open that door, I come in. You know what that church is called? The church of Laodicea, and he rebukes it. You know what he rebukes it for? Being lukewarm. In fact, he has a mention. He says, you know what I prefer? I prefer that you be hot. Be hot for me. Be burning hot. Be burning hot. But I also prefer this. Be cold. Be one of these two things. I, I, can, I can deal with one of these two things. I can deal with pe- my, my, my people who are hot, hot, burning hot for the Lord, or cold. Don't be lukewarm. So he's actually talking to the United States of America in that way. He says, he says all you people are in the church, Annie, and kind of lukewarm, I'm, sta- I'm knocking. Open that door. Let me in. I will come and hang out with you in such an intimate way that it'll blow your mind. But what's fascinating about Revelation chapter 3 is there's Revelation chapter 4. There's another door. But this is a different door. And God will actually open the door himself, and what you get to see is his glory. And you get to see his wonders. And you get to see his miracles. And you get to understand the things that God is doing. And so God has these two doors to open up that he wants to come in. And he says, you let me in. I'm going to open up another door. And I'm going to show you things that you wouldn't believe if they were told you ahead of time. And this can be yours. And it needs to be yours. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.